0: Welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. In each episode, I speak with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheatbeat Podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review while you're there so others can find the show too. My guest today is Dr. Isaac Matson.
1: Isaac is a soil scientist and native of the Northwest. He currently serves as the extension agronomist for the Washington Oilseeds Cropping Systems Project at WSU. He has been involved in research on soil health, plant root soil interactions, soil fertility, and alternative crops. His current research focuses on stand establishment, soil fertility, and winter survival in canola. Additionally, Isaac is interested in alternative oilseed production methods such as intercropping and dual-purpose canola. He hopes to see sustainable oilseed production continue to expand and bring crop diversity to the inland Pacific Northwest. Hello, Isaac. Hello, Drew. So, um, in the past when we've had you on um, the WSU Weepy podcast, you have talked about a variety of research projects being conducted as part of the Washington Oilseeds Cropping Systems Project. But Today I was wondering if we could talk a, a bit more about uh, information outlets or where people can go to get the information that you generate from all these
2: uh, field research studies. Yeah, so that, that would be great. I it, in my job title, after all, it says extension agronomist, and so if you hoard all this information, you're not doing a lot of <laughs> extension. So I think actually this podcast is one of the outlets I've I've really enjoyed. So I've I've been on here a few times and. Um, it's kind of one touch point, but then I wanted to to mention some of the other sort of avenues we have. So we have uh, the oilseeds website, which is oilseeds.wsu.edu, and uh, that's that's sort of I would say the the clearinghouse of of most the information and then we have um some social media president presence we have a facebook page i'm i'm not much of a social mediaite myself um so trying to keep that updated that sort of um information that's really uh i guess it's it's more sort of here's what we're doing today kind of information mm-hmm. is what i use that for i i did actually post the last wheat beats podcast out there. I don't, I don't know how many people clicked on it from there, but, um, so that was episode 111, I think. Um, and, and I posted that on the, the Facebook page. If, if there's a real call, I, I will ex- explore and expand into other social media. <laughs> but for right now we're just doing the, the, the one Facebook page. So that's, uh, I think it's WSU Oilseeds um project or or something like that. If you type in Washington Oil Seeds at WSU on Facebook, you'll get the um you'll get that project for sure. And then sort of the the third avenue I would say that's really interesting to me that I don't think a lot of people necessarily know about, but um, is a really good source to stay up on the most current research is actually the field day abstracts done out of the Lind Field station. Okay. Um so Bill Schillinger uh, puts those together every year and they've got, you know, every year, most of my projects, I'm writing one or two abstracts from my projects. So if you're interested in anything that we've talked about in the past, you know, intercropping or winter survival or variety trials or plant nutrients, you'll get the most recent year's data there. Those aren't polished, finalized reports. So always remember that that's usually, you know, we, that's our first look at the data and our first surmise on it. Also, it's not, uh, sort of well developed. So it wouldn't be like, I wouldn't substitute for say an extension guide on a particular topic, but if you're interested in sort of the cutting edge of what we're working on, that's the place to go. And then, uh, the oilseeds website recently, we've actually been working on reorganizing it and hopefully that'll uh, make that information a little more available.
1: Those field day abstracts. I know we, we have a link to them on the small grains website. Do you have such a thing on your oilseeds website? Yes, yes. Okay. So so the and those two websites, oilseeds
2: and small grains are linked together as well. Yep. So hopefully the sort of dryland e- e- extension, I guess, web network of of um of I- information available for people.
1: All right. Uh you mentioned uh, an updated version of the oilseeds website uh will be released uh, soon in the coming months. What kind of changes are you making to the website? Yeah. So
2: his, historically the, the website was sort of designed, I think, as a, um, you know, in, in the early years of the project, especially it was sort of s- split out by rainfall zone and sort of oriented towards more of a reporting tool. I, w- I would almost say where we were, um, you know, trying to, to sort of show the progress reports. We were, um, <clears throat> the the information we were gathering. And then there was some grower focused information mostly sort of research updates and and current research projects that was by by rainfall zone But the the big shift that we're going through right now is that we're trying to reorganize it and make it really grower focused or agronomist focused or, you know, so you have a a particular problem come up in oilseed production, either in IPM or fertility or some subject matter that you're able to identify. And so then the information will be served up that way. It'll it'll be served up actually by the category. So we actually basically mirrored your small grains page, the, the way that's organized. So if somebody is familiar with going to the small grains page and, and looking for information, they should be able to switch right over onto this um onto the new oil seeds page. And from there they should be able to uh you know, just really seamlessly find find the same source of information. So, you know, under insects actually wireworms are a pest in both and so actually that extension information will take you back to the same extension articles okay. um, from from either page but you know um then something like flea beetles that are unique to canola it it'll take you to the extension resources um on 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 flea beetles specifically and so that's kind of how it's structured now so it'll be more by by topic rather than um how it was organized before and I, I hope that that makes it more accessible. The other thing I <clears throat> I think that does is that um, it really, actually, for us, it, it helped show us where we're missing areas of, of expertise um, mm-hmm. right now on oil seeds. And so we, I've sort of been using it to create a plan for the future of okay, you know, even if we've done all the research, what what subjects don't we have extension bulletins out on? So one of those is. We don't actually have an extension, updated extension bulletin on um, nitrogen rates in, in canola. And so we're getting really close to, to finishing one of those up. And that'll be, um, so that'll that'll go on there too. So it's really nice sort of exercise for reviewing, okay, where do we need to expand and explore and get the information out there that, you know, we, we may know, but we don't actually have it served out in any sort of useful manner.
1: Okay. I was going to mention, you know, we've been, doing work in wheat for many, many years here in Washington State, but canola is kind of new. So I was wondering what kind of um extension bulletins or extension information
2: you have out there or will soon have or are working on. Yeah. So so the two that I'm I'm leading right now are the the well it's actually all nutrients. It's really focused on nitrogen because we've done the most work on that, but I have a section in there on boron, which is a bit of a mystery. We we know canola uses boron, but we have difficulty getting a response to boron fertilizers. Um, and so we've got actually all, all the macronutrients are discussed in there and then some of the micronutrients. And then the other one is uh, working on the integrated grazing systems that we've we've talked about in the past and just sort of reviewing the last several years of research we've done on those. So those two are coming through and then I need, need to bug you and Ian about, I, I really want something on um, herbicides in there. Um Specifically on the plant back restrictions, that's one where you always get questions in canola, yes. <laughs> it's like plant back restrictions. You know, some of those are just so long that you're. I feel like I'll get questions on those until I da- the day I die. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, unfortunately, many
1: of the herbicides
2: we use in wheat uh,
1: are uh, canola is very sensitive to for quite a period of time.
2: Yeah, and, and even um, off-site sort of problems that can happen i was talking to a grower who you're gonna have to correct me here is it the um in like 240 is it the esters that are more volatile yes the esters are more volatile yeah so so somebody used a 240 ester on a wheat field and it was a little bit ways from their canola field but it got lifted and carried up into the canola and yeah it was a pretty bad bad situation so (laughs) that's a whole different that's i guess drift is something i don't Usually, I'm thinking about plant back, but drift can be an issue too.
1: Yeah, I think probably problems this past year was we were so cool early. And so, by the time the weeds started growing and things started growing um, and people got out there to the spray, it was already getting a little late to be using things like 2,4-D ester. And so, there were some drift issues this past year. Yeah. And I think there's also,
2: I mean, there's, It seemed like there was quite a bit of wind. It was a a very windy spring. So, (laughs) yeah, I know I was talking to somebody and said, we've had three spray days this spring. (laughs) So that's that's never a good situation. So so talking about the weather, um, uh, before we close out, I
1: thought maybe we'd talk about this extremely dry year and and what kinds of questions you are getting asked by growers and and agronomists about uh, canola and how to fit canola into the cropping systems.
2: Yeah, so there's different questions for spring versus winter canola. You know, spring canola this year, uh is exact opposite of of twenty twenty, basically. Twenty twenty, you know, we hit perfect weathering during weather during flowering. And so it just flowered forever seemingly, and and there was lots of water. So I think we probably hit some some real record spring canola yields last year. And then this year, that um, you know, that last two weeks of June when we we hit those hundred degree days. That really just shuts down flowering. Uh, there's there's a cutoff in there. I, I've heard a whole range of numbers, but s- some as low as 82 degrees. People say that every day over 82 degrees, you're going to see some yield loss from that. I've heard some people say, well, that's more like 92 degrees. So, but anyhow, you get into the 80s and 90s during flowering, and you start to see problems. You get into the hundreds, and you really see problems. So that's that's really evident. I've so I've had a lot of questions sort of around that. You know, how much is is this going to hurt yield? Sort of from a we can't do anything about it now, um, but, you know, just sort of curiosity. And then had some questions on aphid thresholds because for whatever reasons, very, very rarely have I seen aphids. I shouldn't see very rarely, but it's not extremely common that we get aphid numbers up where you're you're seeing a lot of um, of actually over the threshold numbers of aphids. But this year there have been plenty of aphid infestations that are over the threshold. So seeing some of that. Um, and then, an, and, and, and over the th- threshold, you mean over the threshold
1: for treatment, the, yes. the, the numbers are high enough that you probably should do something. Yes, about
2: it. exactly. Okay. And and that's not encouraging when it's, when you've got a crop out there, that's not going to pay for itself. <laughs> and so yeah. pretty rough that way. Um, so those, I would say those are just kind of the things I'm seeing in spring and also some questions about water usage during seed fill. And actually that's still one I want to chase down. So, you know, after you've finished blooming and, and you're just in the pod stage, how much more water does the canola need at that point? Uh, you know, just looking at this year and at that point, it seemed like we'd run out of water. So I haven't chased that one down yet, but that's a really interesting question that maybe we'll need to design some research around that, uh, that particular question on winter canola, you know, we're, we've already planted some fields. So here it is July, the end of July. And some some folks have already planted, um, so those are already up. And then I would say that most people have not, though. Now a lot of the seed hasn't even moved into the region yet, and so I, I'm starting to get questions on how deep can I seed. So actually, I'm working on a timely topic for this today, um, and uh, and it's it's an interesting one: how deep you can seed because you you know we we really conventionally said okay go an inch deep and and try not to go any deeper than that and i would i would say that's that's good if we can do that but and an inch this year isn't going to cut it in very many locations. So I, I was sort of digging through work that's been done in, in Kansas and the Great Plains and, and there's research that shows it up to two inches. I, I actually planted a trial closer to two and a half inches the other day. I'm um, just based on our moisture. I <laughs> we are in July. So it's not encouraging for August planting dates. Um, and and those those did come up. So that was, I guess, two weeks ago. I was planting two and a half inches deep. So, so anecdotally, yeah, you can get to two and a half inches. But I think once you start getting much deeper than that, um, you're really going to see some attrition on on seedlings. And and even if you don't see necessarily a yield decline, you're going to have a weaker stand. And so you're going to have to take better care of herbicides and things like that. So, um, th- that's the I guess the pressing question that everybody's asking. So. But if you don't have moisture
1: at two and a half inches yeah. or two inches, do you do you dry plant or do you just say, this is not a canola year and better move on to something else?
2: I am not a fan of dusting in winter canola. I, okay. I just have not seen it succeed it, when I've tried it. And now maybe there's people that have got it to work. But in my experience, dusting in winter canola is, is not a good idea. So I, I think, you know, if you get to that point, look at something else, look at winter peas. I know that the price is this rough, but maybe winter peas or, you know, just more winter wheat. Um, and, and, you know, there are things, some of those deep furrow drills, something like an HC or something like that. You can kind of change the, the height of the soil a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, so it's, it's actually, I think a, this is one of those years when, and, and I'm a huge fan of no-till, but uh, Chem fallow is going to probably be a bit rougher. The the moisture is going to be a a bit further down than than fields where you've had some rod weeding and um, some of those more uh, aggressive drills to um, make make a furrow or are going to probably be a little better for this fall. And that's just the way we are with the moisture. So, you know, some of the early seeding stuff I'm doing mostly is chem fallow and using a disc drill. And you really gotta. Um, beyond that, you know, to, yeah. because that moisture doesn't stop going down when it gets, right. when it gets a hundred and whatever. <laughs> so,
1: well, let's hope this is a one in a hundred type a year. And we don't see this again, at least in our lifetime. Yeah. So Isaac, thank you very much for this information. Uh, again, the, the web address for your, uh, or the URL for your website is. Yes.
2: It's oilseeds.wsu.edu. And we can post the link in the, in the show notes too, I'm sure. Right? We will do that. So. Thank, thank you, Isaac. <laughs> Thanks, Drew. Thanks for joining us and listening to the
0: WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear on future episodes, please email me at drew.lion. that's L-Y-O-N at WSU.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu and on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next time.
1: The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement.